Sunset Lake CBD is a majority employee-owned hemp farm located right outside of Burlington, Vermont. Before they started growing hemp, Sunset Lake Farms produced cream for Ben & Jerry's. Sunset Lake CBD doesn't use any pesticides or herbicides to grow any of its hemp plants, and they use organic fertilizer and other sustainable farming techniques to ensure the long-term health of the soil and to minimize their carbon footprint. So like all of us, my days are really stressful. By the end of the night, my kids are in bed, I'm taking a minute to chill, but I'm still unwinding. I recently started using the Relax Gummies infused with CBD isolate, reishi mushroom extract, and ashwagandha root extract. I'm really glad I tried these because they really helped me get ready for a good night of sleep, and I really think I sleep better, so I'd highly recommend it. So check out Sunset Lake CBD today at sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code HFPOD for 20% off your order. That's sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code HFPOD for 20% off your order. Farmer-owned, Vermont-grown, Sunset Lake CBD. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hey listeners, I want to tell you about a sponsor, Music Masters Collective. They're a nonprofit organization that produces unique music events, providing opportunities for fans and artists to meet and collaborate in an inspired and creative atmosphere. Every week, they host different events, all with the opportunity to learn from world-class musicians like O'Teal Burbridge, Trouble No More, former members of the band, Milk Carton Kids, Nikki Glaspie, Bill Frizzell, Sean Colvin, and many more. This June, join the Fab Foe, Joan Osborne, John Sebastian, Marshall Crenshaw, and a great group of faculty for the debut of Magical Mystery Camp. This all-inclusive, once-in-a-lifetime music vacation experience in the heart of the Catskills will be packed with nightly performances, workshops, speakers, song circles, open mics, and a lot more. If you're a performing musician at any level, bring your instrument. If you're a music lover, bring your good spirit. It's an amazing experience for individuals, friends, and couples alike. Registration is open, spots are filling up, so check it out soon. And scholarships are available. Check out magicalmysterycamp.com slash helpingfriendly to learn more. Hey, everybody. This is the Helping Friendly Podcast. This is episode 140. We just figured out. Hey, Jonathan. Hey, RJ. Hey, Matt. Hey, man. How's it going? So good. We're, we are a week away from summer tour, and we're excited. The first thing I want to say is, it, if anyone listening is someone who obsesses over fish setless, um, or maybe has a long text chain going with their friends about fish and fish shows and fish setless, I don't know anyone like that. Jonathan, do you? Um... Like probably about seventy percent of my friend groups. <laughs> so we, you and I, actually have both. We do both of those things. We obsess over setless, and we have a text chain about that. But that's why we are 
I'm happy to partner with Lure Social, which is L-U-R-E social.com. Um, they are creating a pretty cool digital community that's connecting fans with uh, with gaming experiences. It's basically, you know, you're competing against your friends and against us to, to guess what fish will play on any given night. Um, they'll be doing it this summer tour. You should sign up. Um, I'm at RJHFpod. Jonathan is at... I'm I'm Road Jimmy. Road Jimmy. That's surprising. Yeah. And and I don't want to brag or intimidate anyone, but I did call the Pigtail Summer Tour opener last year. I think anyone who listens to this podcast already knew that because I think it's come up on every episode since. I have <laughs> uh, maybe mentioned it. <laughs> so you don't want to, you know, Jonathan's got the goods, but I'm, I'm not saying that I'm going to do well this year. I'm just saying I had that one. And so I'm not really going to be trying anymore because why bother? Yeah, also, like, they're not going to, you know, you're going to guess Pigtail again. And, you know, they're not going to open with Pigtail again. So no oh, one has I'm not guessing Pigtail again. No one has to worry about it. Um, what's the use was last summer, um, the last opener, last summer tour. And that seems to me to be incredibly difficult to to predict. So maybe they'll, maybe they'll throw us for a loop again um, this time. But I think, you know, before we get too far into guessing set lists, First of all, people, if you're not already signed up, go to LureSocial.com, L-U-R-E, social, and sign up and, and play against us and play against your friends. And um, you'll probably beat me. Um, you might not be and Jonathan me. or Matt. No, but you'll beat me. Jonathan, what are your summer tour plans? Uh, I'm, let's see. So for the Gorge, I'm going to celebrate, uh, you know, wait, it's not the Gorge. Tahoe opens the tour, right? Yeah. Or is it the Gorge? Tahoe. Okay. Matt, fix that in the edit. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, yeah. So uh, for the tour opener, I am going to um, have all my wisdom teeth removed. Are you serious? Because I'm in my 40s, and so now it's time to get all my wisdom teeth taken out on the day the tour begins. So I will be couch touring like a boss that weekend. (laughs) Jeez, really, man? Are you serious, yeah, or are you yeah. just saying that? Because that sounds like the the worst thing you could possibly do. It's absolutely serious. Holy shit! I'm yeah. sorry, man. I keep saying I'm sorry, and my my phone keeps thinking that I'm saying Siri. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so Jonathan, that is horrible. But and then what are you gonna do? What what fish shows are you gonna that's see? It, that's it, man. So I'm gonna I'm gonna probably try to do something else horrible the following weekend, and then uh, I'll. Right up until Coventry. Not Coventry. <laughs> Curveball. Begins with a C. Clearly oh, I'm already man. predicting things. If we're already if we're going back to Coventry, man, things are things are not looking good. Although it'd probably be a better than last time, weather wise and maybe music wise. Um so we're gonna be Jonathan and I and Matt and and our whole crew, actually our whole Osiris crew. And and before I get into this, I just wanna remind you that we're part of the Osiris Podcast Network. We're a community of podcasts, events, experiences. We're doing all kinds of really cool stuff. Um, check out OsirisPod.com to see some of the podcasts that, that are on our network and to hear about what we're up to. I'm going to tell you about what we're going to be up to this summer in a second, but I will say that the um, the Relics Audio Hour is, I think, our most recently added podcast. They just um, launched a couple weeks ago, and their second episode I just listened to the other day was um, Don Waz um, being interviewed at the Brooklyn Bowl at the Relics Music Conference, which... I was at, but I didn't get to see that interview. So that was kind of cool to see um, see that. You guys should check out that podcast. Jonathan, is there anything on the network you've been listening to? 
I um I plugged this a bunch of times on my uh my other podcast, but I really your other really podcast like, that will not be named. Yeah, I really really like uh, Welcome to the Party Pal, which is one of the uh, across the margin podcasts, but it's about uh, TV and movies and stuff. And uh, those guys, I like I just like listening to them break down shows, uh, and I, I agree with many of their opinions. And uh, yeah, it's a good show. Cool. Yeah, there's so many, so much good stuff going on. So people should go sign up for the newsletter if you want to learn what what else we're up to. Um, One thing we're going to be doing, uh, as usual, Jonathan, Matt, and Brad and I will be hard at work on summer tour doing quick hits and and trying to get those out as as soon as we can after the the shows the next day. But um, we're going to try something new as well that we're calling Osiris Live. And we're going to do some live streamed discussions um, and commentary before before fish shows at set break and after fish shows, um, sort of an experiment. We're going to see how it goes, but we encourage people to, uh, check it out. We're going to, I think the best way to, to stay tuned is by subscribing to the Osiris YouTube page, which I will link in the, um, show notes. And Tom and I will be kicking it off with a live stream discussion before fish goes on stage at the gorge on Saturday, July 21st. And I think Jonathan will join me hopefully, for another one later on in the tour, right? And we will, we will, we will do things. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of excited. Uh, what were we talking about? We were talking about on August, whatever, whatever Jerry's birthday is. I think is when I was going to try to crash your house and, uh, yeah, and watch a show with you. Yeah, and we're going to bring some, you know, the the live the live commentary before we won't we won't interrupt your fish watching or streaming experience, obviously, but before you know set break after. We'll give some commentary, some analysis, and maybe call in some some special guests. It's very important to note we won't interrupt the fish show. In fact, I will not be allowing RJ to speak during the music. We will not. We will not do that. Um, absolute silence. So, um, this is going to be really fun. And again, it's an experiment. We want to hear people's feedback, but we'll put a link to the Osiris YouTube page. And it's also going to a lot of this is going to be streamed through Relics as well. So, um, check out their social media as well. Um, before we get into our interview for today, which is with Taylor Swope, a woman who founded this really cool company called LittleHippie.com, and you'll hear my interview with her and, and a lot more about her. She has really cool tour stories and stories about life on the road, being a vendor, and how she turned that into a business, which I found really fascinating when I talked to her in New York a couple weeks ago. Um, Jonathan, there were a couple shows recently, um, the Trey Trio, which I think it's still called the Trey Trio, even though technically it was a quartet, or is it called the Trey Quartet? They were booked as the Trey Trio, and then this guy um, Ray, oh yeah, I decided to show up. Heard about that guy? Yeah, um, I I watched the uh, Levitation Fest stream, and that was that was really good. It was, it was good, you know, Trey Band Rock Show. Yeah, I saw a little bit of that too, and they looked really comfortable. He, you know, we heard from. I don't think those are up on Live Fish yet. Um, they should be. Um, if, if, if I had my druthers, I'd be listening to them, but so Matt, you were at the Charlottesville show, the Trey trio slash quartet. Um, I know you had, had some thoughts. Um, we haven't heard it yet cause it's not up on live fish. I'm sure I could find it if I went to some places, but I haven't. So tell people about it if they haven't, haven't heard any of it. Yeah, it was a good time. Um, I, it was, 
interesting because I was really pumped to see the trio. I think that's a pretty unique configuration, and I, I love the stuff that I heard from the April shows. Um, but was you know obviously stoked to to have Ray back in the fold, and that seemed to be kind of the theme of the night. Um, and of of the the other stuff that I saw and heard from that weekend, uh, the three shows that that they played, um, Trey was obviously he was just kind of beaming with gratitude for having Ray around. He mentioned him several times. He kind of got choked up at the beginning of the show, um, you know, noticeably just to, to be standing on stage next to his friend. Um, Ray was in a great mood all night and, and Trey just kept kind of tossing to him for solos and stuff. He'd just say, Hey Ray, take it, you know, and, and let Ray take a cool solo and, you know, farmhouse or something like that. Um, so that was really awesome. The, uh, the venue there in Charlottesville is really neat. Um, I hadn't been there before. But it's literally like if you're familiar with Charlottesville, um, you walk to the end of the downtown mall and it's just it's right there. Um, And it seems like it's just kind of like this sort of, you know, community park or something like that. Um, And I my understanding is they have a lot of like free shows there throughout the summer and stuff like that. Um, But it's just it's really small. Um, You know, there was only a couple thousand people there and the um, venue wasn't full. Um, Super, super hot. Uh, It's this like big tent kind of mm. something like um like a mini version of like um of like Darien or if you know uh Pier 6 in Baltimore mm-hmm, it's kind of mm-hmm. it's 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 kind of like that um so a lot of people were kind of like hanging outside um there was a funny part in the the first set where they played a, a bunch of kind of scorchers in a row to um to open up the show and then um they played Miss You and I swear like maybe like 75% of the people that were in the pavilion left the pavilion at that point um, to, you know, go and, you know, everybody kind of needed a beer or needed to hit the bathroom or something at that point. But I think most people were just hot and wanted mm-hmm. to get out from the pavilion and took, took a breather. Um, so it was funny cause we were, I was standing with uh, Kate and Jeremy uh, friends, friends of the show. Mm-hmm. Um, and we kind of looked around and we went from being like surrounded by people that were just being completely empty and we could have just walked right up to the stage at that point, but, um, really, um, a great show. The second set in particular had, um, some, like, several awesome jams. The, um, soul planet was really great. The ghost was really great. Um, you know, a little, little bit more straightforward, of course, than fish, but also a little bit more outside, uh, playing than you'd expect from a tray show. Um, I think awesome. not, not having the horns allows them a little bit more flexibility to, to do, um, some of that, uh, and, and kind of take the, take the band in different directions. So, um, it was really fun and I, I don't know, it just, uh, mostly got me excited for summer tour. Right on. Um, and then they went to central park. Um, and I think that was a really important and I think Trey was pretty emotional throughout those shows because Ray was back and he's been very contemplative recently. Um, so I'm going to listen back to those shows. Yeah. I think the, uh, the Twitter sphere reported, uh, good things from New York. And then they played the levitate or levitation festival in on the Cape, right? I honestly don't know where that is. I think it was Um, on the Cape in Massachusetts. Um, which yeah, they streamed live and seemed to be having a good time, but you know, I think Trey is probably excited to play with the fish as we are excited to see the fish. Very excited to see the fish, <laughs> um, even though it's like uh, forever away for me. It is. It is not so far away from me. Um, in fact, 24. 24- oh, this is where RJ rubs it in that no. he's going to go travel and see a gonna- fish rock band. Well, I already made a mistake. So I was going to say 24 and I don't know where that was going. But one week from today, I'll be at Tahoe watching the fish, um, which is going to be 
super awesome, I think. But that, that that sounds fun. But you know, tour opener will probably be lame, etc. So <sighs> it'll probably be boring and I'll be sad. Too many repeats. It's totally possible. You know. Um but <laughs> <laughs> one thing about the the Trey Trio show from Central Park, Tom Tom Marshall, he sent me a photo of him with Scott Rogowski from HQ Trivia. And um I think they met there and I just want to say, Scott, if you listen to the Helping Friendly podcast, hello. Um, thanks for making a cool trivia game. And we we are f- fans of what you do. Jonathan, anything, yes, anything else about Summer Tour? I didn't. You never asked me which shows I was going to, but... Well, I, I thought you were going to volunteer that. <laughs> I, 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 obviously, I've never interviewed anyone before. <laughs> um, <laughs> Arche... Are you going to see yes. any fish shows this year? Oh, thank you for asking. Um, I am. I will be. I'm going next uh, week to Tahoe, and then I'm going to San Francisco as well. And then I'm going to Curveball, and I might fit in a Meriwether Post Pavilion show in between. So I feel very fortunate and excited that I get to see a lot of fish shows. And um, Tahoe next Tuesday or Wednesday, I think Tom and I are going to try to do a little bit of this Osiris live piloting from the parking lot, maybe just on YouTube live. So again, you know, check us out on the Osiris YouTube page. I'll link to that. And, um, you might see us talking about fish, um, in real time, which would be fascinating. Well, one would hope it'll be fascinating. (laughs) No, no pressure. Um, no pressure at all. So I guess we should get into this interview with Taylor. Um, as I said, she's the founder of LittleHippie.com. We, we were introduced to her from, by Stacy from strangers, stopping strangers another Osiris podcast and we got talking about stuff and she's a pretty cool fish story. So we wanted to share that with you along with some music. So, um, I don't know, Jonathan, anything else or should we get to the interview? Well, we should remind people, uh, mm. in case they don't already know, although I don't know how, cause we seems like we always remind them that you can find us, uh, at HF pod on Twitter and hfpod.com on the internet. And you know, that is such a nice little, url um i should get one of those you should get um but uh and then i don't know wherever else we can you can find we're on the facebooks and um and and people should find us on those things and they should review us on all the 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 their favorite podcast source whether it be stitcher or itunes or the google things or uh whatever so spotify spotify uh, if if that's your thing um put in the stars and the thumbs ups and uh, what have you, so that other people who have good taste like yourselves will be able to find the show. Yeah, well, you guys give us many stars. Give us many stars, and um, mostly because Jonathan has a really nice beard, and Matt does great editing, and Brad's funny. And so, just for those reasons, please give us stars. Um, and I, I think we'll get into the interview. Should we do it, Jonathan? Do it. All right, and thank you everyone who has reviewed um, recently. We appreciate that. We've seen them coming in. We we love all you guys, and thanks for uh, thanks for listening. And enjoy this conversation with Taylor. Stay safe out there on the road, and um, we'll see you for some quick hits pretty soon. Keep on rocking. All 
right. Hey, everyone. I'm here with Taylor Swope from LittleHippie.com. Hi, Taylor. Hi. How's it going? It's going great. We are here in New York on um, what is, I think, the hottest At least day. the hottest day of the year so far. <laughs> so far. It's like immediately melting when you walk outside. Um, you're based in, in Bushwick, Brooklyn? Correct. Um, and I know you've lived on the East Coast for, for most of your life, but... Um, We'll talk a little bit about your your website and, and company, LittleHippie.com, which is um, really cool, and I wanted our listeners to hear more about it. And I think we were introduced originally by Stacy. Right. Stranger Stopping Strangers. Yeah, from yeah. another Osiris podcast, so, you know, the, the network is strong. Um, so, yeah, I guess before we get into the sort of business aspect of what you're up to, tell us a little bit about how you got into music, how you got into fish, and, and maybe some of your first memories. Okay, I can do that. Uh, fish and I didn't get along at first. <laughs> it took me a long time to get into fish. I was aware of fish for years before I even listened to them. I think, you know, at first I, I remember seeing, um, the hoist tape in one of my friend's bedrooms mm-hmm. when I was younger and just kind of being like, what is that? You know? And, and it's a weird album cover. It is a weird album cover for sure. I think it even like freaked me out a little bit. Yeah. And, and then and you're from the Northeast. So fish was probably like. Yeah, yeah, I mean, we're talking, you know, I guess late 80s when I probably first, or early 90s, I don't even know when it came out, but, um, and then, you know, I I grew up on the shoreline in Connecticut with a group of friends that we'd all sneak out at night in the summer and listen to music, and Mm -hmm. um, that was one of the friends who I did that with, he's the one who had that fish tape, but I don't really remember listening to it, but I remember getting into classic rock and the dead and all that stuff, and and I moved to San Diego in for eighth and ninth grade and started sending mixtapes back and forth to friends and writing letters and you know mm-hmm. very analog and yeah. <laughs> um, someone sent me a tape that said you should check out the Grateful Dead and it was basically just like a m- mashup of Skeletons in the Closet and American Beauty it nice. wasn't very original yeah. It was like, yeah, yeah. you know the obvious hits and uh, so yeah so I started listening to the Grateful Dead while I was out there and. Um, uh, my, probably my first concert, at least the first one I really remember was, uh, I went to see the Jerry Garcia band for my 15th birthday at the San Diego sports arena. Wow. Yeah. And, um, my parents took me and a couple of friends and they were very, uh, I don't know, nice, I guess, to, to let us go do our own thing, but they went up to the higher seats where they could supervise us down on the floor. So I don't know how much they could actually see us, but they were definitely trying to keep an eye on us. <laughs> were they Were they interested in the music, too? Not at all. No. Not they at just all. Were like, they, were, they were actually there to supervise. Yeah, and, you know, as much as they were never into the same things that I was, they've always been really supportive of the fact that I wanted to follow these interests. So they were a little scared of it back then. Uh, they were scared of a lot of things I yeah. was doing back yeah, then, yeah. just growing up as a teenager, you know. But, um, but yeah, they they were cool about it to take me, and so um, that's actually the only time I got to see Terry Garcia. Oh, okay. Yeah, because that was I guess ninety three. Yeah. And then I had a ticket to the last Highgate show, but it was the morning uh, or the night before high school graduation, and um, at the last minute, my mom was like, "You're not." driving all not, the way up there and trying to come back for graduation so, so was that that was part of the last tour yeah it was like one of the last shows yeah it was the one where you know some kid got struck by lightning in a tree and the oh, cr- right. gates were crashed okay. and you know, it was a disaster so it's probably okay that i didn't yeah. go and my friends that i was supposed to go with they all lost each other yeah and they definitely didn't make it back in time the next day and it wasn't actually i was a junior i wasn't my graduation it was their graduation okay. so it didn't really matter but so <laughs> So yeah, so that was the only time I got to see Jerry Garcia, and uh, but 
you know, I don't really remember the concert, I'll be honest, yeah. but I remember just being sort of overwhelmed mm-hmm. by all of it. And I remember a set break the best because I just remember sitting on the floor with my two friends, just kind of wondering, like, what were we supposed to do with ourselves? <laughs> what was everyone doing? And what, and obviously we were young, you know, right. so we stood out a bit. And, yeah. And we just, yeah, we just didn't know what to do with ourselves. And um, so I, you know, I've li- I think I've gone back and listened to the show. I can't really remember. But, yeah. Um, so anyway, so yeah, that was my first live concert experience. And um, then I moved back to Connecticut shortly thereafter. And I can't really remember going to a whole lot of concerts in high school. I remember I went to see the Rolling Stones at Giant Stadium um, maybe when I was like 17 or something and we were way up at the top uh-huh. and I don't remember enjoying that very much either because <laughs> it was just like such a to do yeah. you know it was so long to get, took so long to get there and it yeah. was such a big show and you couldn't see the stage and it didn't do anything for yeah. me at all yeah. you know it was one of those where it was like cool to say we went to it but yeah. um, I think the first time I remember really like loving the experience of going to a show mm-hmm. with my friends was I went to see Tom Petty at um one of the venues in New Haven for my, it must have been my 16th birthday, 16th or 17th birthday. And um, so I got to drive. Wow. And I remember like that feeling of like, getting to drive myself yeah. to a concert. And um, that was pretty cool. And I, I, think, oh, I think it was the Palace in New Haven. I was okay. it's not there anymore. But Was I, that during Wildflowers or was that before Wildflowers? I want to say it was. I looked it up at some point yeah. recently because I was curious what yeah. it was that I got to see. Um, and I also, I remember going to see Bob Dylan there in high school at a cool. friend who we were both... So you were always, like, sounds like you were going to a lot of shows. I mean, I was always interested. Yeah. I wasn't really allowed to do a lot. Like, yeah. New Haven was this, like, forbidden place that I wasn't supposed to go to, <laughs> you know, so I had to get special permission to go, go out and see Tom Petty and Bob Dylan. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, I was always trying to. I was always interested in going to see music, and then I actually left high school after my junior year, so I went to college when I was 17, so... I, um, you know, pretty quickly then was able to go and do whatever I wanted to do. So, um, that's when I went to my first fish concert, um, was Lake Placid. Um, so it would have been like 96, maybe October or something. Yeah. Yeah. October 96. That was like the fall 96 tour, I think started up there, like Buffalo, Lake Placid in the, in like mid-October before Halloween. Yeah, that sounds right. I remember like knowing that it was the beginning of the tour. Yeah. Um, so I went up with, yeah, a few girls that I had become friends with in the dorms and stuff. And I think it was, it must've been my sophomore year because I had a car and I didn't, I drove us and I didn't have a car my freshman year. So, um, and again, like I didn't really get it. I didn't really (laughs) know what I was supposed to be doing. And I um, think I lost my friends pretty early on and or wasn't really trying that hard to yeah. stay with them. Yeah, yeah. I remember they were, they'd made a bunch of hemp necklaces to sell and I didn't like hemp necklaces. I think I bought one of them from them like, <laughs> that year or the year before. Really? <laughs> I just never understood the hemp necklace Yeah, thing. no, they're pretty dirty, but, <laughs> pretty but people, people love them. Um, so it's funny because I think a lot of fans who follow, you know, all the all the shows and all the tours would say that like that fall of 96 before Halloween was like, just okay. Like they weren't, that wasn't wasn't a great part. I mean, once they hit Halloween and then, you know, covered the talking heads and all that, like then their playing started to change. And I think like maybe those like two weeks, which I saw them a little bit after that, but, um, Maybe maybe that's why. Maybe the playing just didn't like strike you. I feel like that's definitely possible because I think I would have 
I just think I would have known if it was good, you yeah. know, even though I wasn't really into it. I just, I think I would have had like, I would have been more aware of, I don't know. I just yeah. would have connected with it more, you know? Well, let, lest we be fact checked by our audience. <laughs> you did see the first, the first night of the fall tour. Oh, I did? They opened the fall tour <laughs> in Lake Placid and then went to State College and then Pittsburgh and then Buffalo. Okay. Then, so yeah, the opening night, maybe not so great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, I think those are fun shows to go back to because they had a lot of new material at that time. A lot of stuff from Billy Breeze was sort of new, but but yeah, not like crazy crazy playing. Yeah. Um, when when did when did you when do you remember first like being at a fish show and being like, oh, this is awesome? Did it take a while? It or did take it a while. Like... So I went to a couple of more. Um, so I ended up leaving that one at some point. I think in the second set, or yeah. maybe even during set break, and just like wandering around outside in the cold and like placid, looking for something <laughs> to eat. Like I, I got outside and I was like, "Well, this isn't better." I don't know why I just left. You know, I was just like I said, I just didn't know what to do with myself. No drugs. No. Okay. No, and I otherwise that would make a lot of sense. No drugs. Just... No. Generally, my whole concert history is pretty drug free. Yeah. Like I'm a pretty sober person. Yeah. So. Um, so yeah, any of the weird decisions I've made have been my own. <laughs> For better or worse. Yeah, I can't really blame them on <laughs> yeah, anything. Yeah, yeah. But, um, so then the next time I saw Fish was a few months later, I actually saw them at the Bataclan in Paris because I went to uh, Paris for school. Whoa. Yeah, so that was cool. Um, and again, I didn't really know the music yet, but I do remember having fun at that show. That's amazing. It was pretty cool. That was the f- that was like February '97 mm-hmm. when they were on that little Europe tour. Wow. Yeah. Really cool. And so yeah, so I would have uh, I went with a friend and yeah, it was just I don't know. We just had fun. It was we knew it was something special. We yeah. knew like even if we weren't super into the music or really knew what the music was, we knew we were lucky to yep. be there, and that goes a long way, yeah. right? Yeah, totally. Um, and then I saw them. So that was what '97. So then we've got like a big gap. Mm-hmm. And then the next time I saw them was the fall of 2000. Okay. Um, which is right before they broke up the mm-hmm. first time, right? Yep. Yeah. So um, fall of 2000, I was out in California, in Southern California for like a month or so. I was trying to move to LA. I'd been promised this job and it didn't really manifest. Mm-hmm. And in the process, I um, ended up, that's how, where I got exposed to the whole jam band thing, the festival world, and oh. really randomly... Um, I met some guys that were uh, traveling with the slip, and uh-huh. they um, took me to a show and uh-huh. started telling me about the whole. They told me about the wetlands yeah. and told, you know just told me about all this stuff, and I kind of like saw my world get cracked open a bit. And Interesting. So, In California. Yeah. 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 Wow. Guys from here. Yeah. Yeah. You know? yeah, yeah. And um, so then you know they convinced me to go to the Irvine show that fall, and again I was like what is this? Like, I just, it, I just didn't like it, you yeah. know? And I, I left again, like during the second set. And by that time, were you, were you more into the dead? And I had always been into the dead. Okay. So yeah. Were, yeah. So this was just like a dead fan, sort of like not, not yet getting into fish. Yeah. yeah. And you know, and I had always, you know, I'd been into music and, um, Bob Dylan was like, huge for me growing up velvet underground all this kind of stuff and the dead was always a part of that but yeah i just didn't make the jump to fish you know so and that show was terrible by all accounts that was not a good show and you um, saw like early 90 early fall 96 (laughs) late fall 2000 so you were like it was strikeout right although the year of 97 is that's pretty cool that's like a rare it's a rare gem. And the the weird thing, too, is that, well, my least favorite song, and this m- 
I don't know if it's chicken or the egg, like, would, did I hate this song already, or is it because of this experience? But my least favorite song is Wolfman's Brother. Oh, and it was played at all three of those first shows that I went to. And I'm pretty sure that, uh, I don't remember from Paris, I know I didn't leave the Paris show, but I'm pretty sure that that's what drove me to leave both the Lake Placid and the Irvine oh, shows. Right? Well, according to Fish, according to Fish.net, the show that you saw in Irvine is 3.4 out of 5, which is near the... That's like the nadir, the the bottom, yeah, exactly, <laughs> the bottom quartile or something of of fish shows, um, which is too bad because that I think that tour is like not not well looked upon. Yeah. Um. But so so then jumping forward, so you. Okay, so then yeah. I don't see fish again. Now we have another big gap, but yeah. in that time. Um, I start going to lots of concerts because now I've been exposed to this. I come home from LA. I start going to the wetlands like every yep. weekend. And of course, the wetlands closes about a year later. Yeah. So I was there for like the end of it, but I would I went all the time and got yeah. into all events. Started going to festivals, and then I ended up on like widespread panic tour. Uh-huh. That was probably my first like going on tour. It was Panic in the South and, uh-huh. and some String Cheese and. Um, whatever the dead was at the time. Yeah. It was like around the time Joan Osborne was in the band, uh-huh. you know. And, and so it wasn't until um, the New Year's show in Miami going into 2004. Yep. That's when Fish, I, was, I fell in love. Uh-huh. Like that was it, the night of the Blue Bunnies. Nice. I, it just hit me. Like I was like, this is amazing. Wow. Yeah. It, it really was. It was the New Year's time. You yeah. Know? It was Jungle Boogie. Yeah, it was yeah, everything. Yeah. It was yeah. the, the Mini Cooper and the yeah. marching band and all of it. And, and I was with um, someone who's now one of my best friends, but we had just met, and he um, yanked me like past the security guards uh-huh. onto the floor, nice. and you know, all of a sudden it's like balloons and glitter and everything yeah. all over, and people bumping into us dancing, yeah. and I was just like, oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, then didn't they break up? Like, yeah, right? yeah, it's, yeah. <laughs> My timing was later, pretty yeah. off. Yeah. So you're like, you keep seeing them right before they break up. <laughs> yeah. So I saw a bunch of them in 2004. And, yeah. Um, and I was at Coventry. And, yep. Um, Same here. And that was, I actually didn't even really see much of the shows at yeah. Coventry. Um, I was working and trying to run two booths, and one of the booths was just sinking straight into the yeah, mud. Yeah, the mud was the, you know, the music and all that, like, the whole experience was subpar, but the, man, the mud. The mud. I lost, like, I lost <laughs> shoes. People were losing shoes. I mean, yeah. for people who weren't there, I mean, it's it's hard to explain that, like, if you walked into the mud, like, it was hard to get out. Yes, yeah, literally. It's yeah. not just the drugs or, or whatever, as yeah. Taylor can attest to, because she was mostly sober. Right. It's <laughs> actually the mud. Yeah. Um, so my friend who I was just talking about who yanked me onto the floor for Jungle Boogie, he sells sandals, and he just had a mountain of, like, broken shoes in I'm front of sure. his booth at the yeah. end. Like, he has no other weekend that compares. And we've done a lot of money festivals together, yeah, yeah. but that one stands out, you know. Amazing. Yeah. It's funny, because I, I think we're around the same age, and I um, started seeing a lot more shows during the, like, 2001 to 2009 period, mm-hmm. like, in general, you know, when Fish wasn't playing. And probably, like, got into, as you were describing, like, more live music mm-hmm. at that time just because there was not any fish to see so i saw lots of other stuff yeah know? well there was this kind of void because there was no really big band leading the charge mm-hmm. it was a great like window for all these smaller bands to have moments and bonnaroo hadn't started yet and it was like mm-hmm. or it was you know i guess just starting towards the latter half of that period but um it was this like kind of golden age of smaller bands having an opportunity to reach a larger audience than yeah. they would have been able to otherwise and 
And it was a lot of fun, yeah. you know? And it was also definitely before, like, electronic music came into the festival scene. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, there were so many bands then that I remember just being so excited about. I don't know, I probably can't even tell you half of them now. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. But, um, I was talking to a friend who I met earlier today about Deep In and a Blackout. Um, which was a band that I saw a bunch of times, and he mentioned them, and I like hadn't thought about that band forever because there's like dozens of bands. It's a really good example you know? of one of those. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, the recipe that came up in conversation oh, yeah. with someone a couple of days ago. You know, all, all fun stuff. Leftover salmon, yeah, you know, bands like that. Yeah, it's like I don't know if they could have held my attention forever, but it was it, it was, was a fun good. moment, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. So so during that time, at some point during that time, you started um, your business, right? I did. Yeah. So tell tell us how that started. Um, obviously people can find you now at littlehippie.com, but did it start as a, as an e-commerce thing or did it start as a festival thing or was it both or was, how did it come together? It didn't start as e-commerce, but that wasn't long after it started, um, in parking lots. It Mm -hmm. started before Little Hippie with, um, selling, uh, the first thing I sold was food. But it wasn't my thing. I was uh, with someone who had been selling food for a while, and so I ended up going on tour with him and learning the ins and outs of um, how to show up in a parking lot, how to find a spot, how to, you know, what venues work, what venues don't, which ones are worth going out of the way for and which ones are worth taking the day off for and all Mm -hmm. that stuff and how to play cat and mouse with the local authorities. And and, uh, so, you know... Which I think is like that whole thing is like an under told story of live music. Yeah. You know, like everyone just shows up and the shakedown is set up. Yeah. And the food is there and the clothes are there. But I know there's like so much behind totally. it. Totally. Right? I mean, I brought a friend to Camden a couple of weeks ago for the Denton Company who's been to tons of shows. And um, I just kind of on a whim was like, hey, you want to go with me to Camden? I'm going to go down early though. And, mm-hmm. and she said, what do you mean by early? I was like, no, like early, you know? Yeah, yeah. And we got there and she had literally never seen this before you know I don't know how many shows she's been to but lots and she was just like I had no idea how this what goes into this you know and and it was a cool experience for her to get to see it but she also had no interest in doing it again she had a great day and she was like nope that's it so when you were learning all this stuff did you know that you were learning it so that you could like figure something else on your own or were you just kind of going with the flow and seeing what happens I um, I was trying to survive, for mm-hmm. one thing. So I was pretty young, and it was right after 9-11. Mm-hmm. And I had had a series of, you know, kind of inconsequential, inconsequential jobs after yeah. college. I was hell-bent on being a photographer, but it was right at the time that photography was switching from film to digital. Mm-hmm. And no one was taking digital seriously. Mm-hmm. But to try and become a photographer with film at the time, you know, it was challenging because of the expense and also because it was obviously going out. Mm -hmm. And so it was just a strange time to try and do that. And I, um, started going to festivals because I thought that I wanted to go to grad school and I needed a portfolio. And so I thought, well, I'll go and I'll take pictures of the crowds at festivals. That's a cool story for a portfolio. And I wanted to do editorial photography. So, you know, I was trying to kind of create a portfolio that could serve me either for grad school or to try and get work and so uh, you know photography for me was never about the bands on stage it was about the crowds it was about the story of why do people go to this what brings them here why do they want to connect in this environment and and I really enjoyed that but there wasn't really anything to do with it you know and it was the summer before 9-11 and then 9-11 happened um and the weekend before 9-11 was when I met the guy that I mentioned, mm-hmm. and 
I brought him back to New York with me at the end of the weekend. We woke up Tuesday morning planning to leave. Couldn't get out of the city. Yeah. Had no choice Man. but to stay. And um, then we left the next day, and I didn't come home for three months afterwards. So I that was the first fall that I really went on tour. That was, like I said, panic. You know, I ended up down in the South. Mm-hmm. And just went on this crazy adventure. Yeah. Kind of like... I'm just doing this for right now. Yeah. You know, there was no plan. Right. I was 23 years old and <laughs> I just had to do something. And I had a really cheap apartment. That was the mm-hmm. thing. Is I got really lucky with this apartment that I had forever. And, and so I was able to just kind of leave it and go do this thing. And so, you know, we were making just enough to get to the next yeah. show. It wasn't like, you know, I think the only bill I had then was a cell phone. Mm-hmm. You know, like it wasn't, yeah. there were no stakes really. Right, right, right. right, right. Um, so, you know, I, I loved the excitement of learning this uh, like underground world and I, I, I loved everything about it. Um, I wasn't doing it with the idea that I was going to build a business out of it. I just was doing it because it was an adventure. It was better than being in New York. Mm -hmm. It was something I thought was temporary. And I was pretty captivated by the person who was like, hey, let's go do this. Let's go do this. I'll show you this thing. I'll show you this, you know. And so I just went. I didn't think a whole lot about it, you know. Um, so that, that gets us like through the first like few months, you know, and then that winter I come back, I'm home again, I come home for the holidays and, and I took a, a, um, Adobe Illustrator class at, um, I think Parsons and they do like a January semester, right? So I went for like four weeks to learn Adobe Illustrator because I had in my head like, well, if I want to be a photographer, I've got to learn how to design a business card. Like that was, it was that simple, (laughs) right? I had really not a lot of thought. And so I started learning Adobe Illustrator, which was pretty simple still back Uh then. And uh then I had a friend who designed websites. And so he came over and he showed me how to write HTML and we created a little portfolio for me. Uh and, And from there, I just started learning design. And so I had no idea that that's what I was going to do. Interesting. And so I, once I started learning design, I was like, well, now I can make things, you know, yeah. I can put this on something and yeah. someone will buy it. And, and so, and people did, and people did <laughs> which still blows my mind, yeah. you know, and especially when I think back to the primitive, like how basic the things I first made were, I can't believe that people bought them and that I got to keep doing it and get that I was given the opportunity to get better yeah. was pretty remarkable. Yeah. And and you, I mean, what you have now on your site, I mean, is, is there's so much stuff. And I assume it's not just you that's designing everything. It's mostly me. Is it really? Yeah, it is wow. mostly me. You, I, yeah, there's a amazing. few pieces of art that are collaborations. Uh, there's, I think, one piece of art, that one that you were just looking mm-hmm. at. Um, mm-hmm. That was done by another girl who worked for me for a bunch of years. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's mostly me. I do all the web design for it. Um, I worked as a programmer for a few years, for about four years. Um, now it's been a couple of years since we worked together, but we had it was a different site than the one you're looking at. And um, he taught me development. Like, mm-hmm. he, so like my friend way back when taught me HTML, which was all you needed back mm-hmm. then. You mm-hmm. know, like maybe some JavaScript mm-hmm. and. Um, and then the site that I had for like 10 years had gotten to the point where it was just terrible and like no one was using it and to upgrade with, or like to do updates on it was going to be really, it just wasn't worth it, you know? Mm -hmm. So I started from scratch with this guy who, he taught me, um, he taught me like modern, like how people are actually developing now, you know? And, and I was able to then take that and 
and run with it. With uh, I switched to Shopify a couple years ago, so that's what you're looking at. So you you started. I know that um, you're like in the fifteenth or sixteenth year now, and and there's a lot of a lot to talk about. Um, but did you start trying to make it wasn't just for kids, but but maybe kids became like a good area yeah. over time. It gave me my own thing. So mm-hmm. kids um, came at about a year after I started going to shows or after I started like, going to shows to sell stuff, right? Mm-hmm. That So like the fall of 2002. Um, so, you know, first there was food briefly, then we started making some stuff and started making stuff by going out to the wholesale district uh, here in New York and buying second quality t-shirts that were all like pretty awful, you uh, know, just men's t-shirts uh, and making stuff with heat transfers. And then, um, we would do that. We'd have the grill set up in like half the 10. We'd have a handful of t-shirts and just like bit by bit, we had more and more t-shirts wow. and, you know, every weekend I was less interested in the food and more interested yeah. in the apparel. And awesome. especially once I saw people wearing my stuff and, but what the stuff that we were making then wasn't really an expression of my interests. And I wasn't that interested in making stuff for men. And I still don't really... I make some stuff for men, but I don't really know how. I don't know what they want. You know? <laughs> right, right. Not, it doesn't right. come naturally to me. And and so, you know, I was in this kind of weird limbo where I was like, I like what I'm doing and I'm making... I like making stuff, but I'm not making what I want to be making. And then that summer... Um, I was just, I was just like one night I like woke up and like had in the middle of the night, I was like a little hippie and I went back to sleep. Yeah. And I was just like, <laughs> I don't know, I was popping my head that summer, you know? And then, um, I, yeah, so that fall I started making kids stuff and I went, saw some kids shirts in the wholesale district, which, you know, prompted me to actually make them. Okay. And, cool. and, you know, the blank industry has grown so much in this mm-hmm. time mm-hmm. and like over the past 15 years, you know, like American apparel had barely started back then. And right. And by that you mean like large amounts of stuff that you can do things with. Yeah. Stuff that yeah. you can print on. Right. Yeah. So, you know, when I started to get anything that wasn't a men's t-shirt was kind of rare, mm-hmm. you know, especially in the wholesale district in New York, it was just men's t-shirts. You know, you really had to sort through to find like a women's t-shirt okay. or so literally the first kids t-shirt I even saw, I was like, kid stuff. Yeah. You know, like it wasn't like I had been exposed to tons of it. It was just right. all of a sudden there it was. And yeah, it was this idea. And, so, so yes, yeah, so I started, I made a really basic shirt that just said Little Hippie, and um, as soon as I had it for sale, like, instantly, I was like, <laughs> this is what I'm going to do, this is my thing, you know? It's amazing to think about, because, like, we made t-shirts for HF Pod, and we just went on to a website and uploaded our logo, mm-hmm. and then, like, people started getting t-shirts in the mail. Yeah, <laughs> like, right? Man, right? I do some of that now, not, too. But that's just not how it worked. I never even could have imagined it yeah. back then. Yeah, that's that's um, kind of amazing that, that that's changed so much. It really is, and you know, and part of that has to do with Shopify too. Because first of all, Shopify made it so easy to build a store, and also they integrate with all those on-demand printers. So you know, even if you there's other great platforms for building stores, but if you want to integrate with third-party apps, like Squarespace, for example, doesn't use third-party apps, so you can't. You could build an on-demand product but then you've got to go and manually enter the order on the on-demand platform yeah. to and like why why would yeah, you do yeah, that i yeah. don't know why squarespace is not connecting that you know but um so yeah so shopify has created this environment that where it's just so easy to make things but the flip side is that's where the bootlegging is coming from yeah, the so, ease of it so let's talk about licensing a little bit because you 
Uh, I noticed like on your website that it's prominent as, as that you kind of walk people through that, or you've sort of done that as a little bit of a side side gig, right? To help people understand how to license. But you've oh, the, you're talking about the learn about licensing yeah, link there? Yeah. yeah. So I've been licensed by the Grateful Dead since 2004, um, which is, came about a year after I officially started the business. So I made those first kid shirts at the end of 2002. By January 2003, I had um, established a bit, you know, founded the business yeah. officially. That's when I started the website. It was January 2003. And uh, later, September 2003, that's when I was discovered, you could say, by the Grateful Dead. Um, but not in the good way of, like, discovering a new... And <laughs> well, discovered. discovered in the put that away, you can't sell yeah, it, yeah, but yeah. here's my card kind of way. Got it. Yeah. Yep. So, which the funny part of that story is that happened at Irvine. Okay. So, the same place where I was like, this, what is wrong with this band? Yeah. You know, I then I went back for uh, The Dead in 2003 and um, I was selling stuff there. And, wow. Yeah. And so, um, so then by February 2004, I had signed a license and then, you know, that went on kind of quietly for a long time. And 2006, the band closed up shop, and meaning Grateful Dead Productions. Mm-hmm. Um, they signed the 10-year deal with Rhino Records, and it was it was really quiet for the first five, six years of that Rhino deal. And then um, from, I don't know, the last the couple years, or even just the year leading up to Fairly Well, all of a sudden it exploded. It went from being at one point where I was one of nine licensees to around Fairly Well, there were about 100. Wow. And I think it's still around 100. Like, they've wow. done a really good job, uh, you know, building that business and maintaining it. And, and you know, they renewed, the Rhino renewed their deal with, with Grateful Dead uh, last year. And so they're, you know, they're going forward with it. And so... So for people who don't know, so the licensing deal is, well, I'll oversimplify, and if this is wrong, you can tell me. So you pay them money to use the logo mm-hmm. on the most basic level, and it's good for them because they get a, a share of the revenue, obviously, but do they get to tell you what you can and can't use? Like, is there... Yes. Yeah. yeah. Is so there, everything... Like, does it get down to color and all that stuff, or is it more just like the image? Um, everything goes through them for approval. Okay. It's based more around the art and the product. So licenses are done by category. So, you know, people will come to me and be like, oh, I've got this great idea for something you could do. You should make whatever, hats or backpacks or lunch boxes or mm-hmm. those are all great ideas. I'm not licensed for any of those things. I see. And so and it's, it's like a Grateful Dead lunchbox. Who wouldn't? I don't know why no one is doing it. Uh, it seems like a little heavy could. Yeah. Um, but licenses are typically split between hard goods and soft goods. And by split, I mean that they have different managers internally. So at Rhino, uh, they're, I don't know if that's this is the case right now, but typically you'd have a soft goods manager and a hard goods manager. And to cross over is very unusual. Oh. So for me, I'm soft goods. And yeah, so, what's the difference? Oh, hard goods, like... like so, actual, like, like, if I wanted to add Lunchbox... Oh, like, actual, like... Yeah, like, physical product. Yeah, oh, like, T-shirts versus a mug, for example, would be a hard wow. good. I thought you were then saying, like, vinyl or CDs no, or No, music's something. a whole other yeah, department. Yeah, whole different world. Yeah, whole different team. And, um, yeah. and I have nothing to do with that. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, if I wanted to make keychains, that would be a different... A whole different thing, huh. you know? So... Um, it's really funny that that's how they separated it. It is, out to isn't like it? The texture or whatever. I mean, like the. Uh, 
I can't say that I really know where that yeah. comes from other yeah. than just you got to categorize things somehow yeah. to manage them, right? Yeah. So, um, so I started really simple with just kids and women's clothing. Mm-hmm. And then I think within a year I added men's and then within a couple of years I added blankets, which I was able to do because the people who had been the longtime blanket manufacturer or blanket licensee retired. They retired when um, it switched from GDP to Rhino. Okay. And so I picked up the blanket license and actually I've, I now I've sell more blankets than anything else, even though I'm known as a kid's clothes person. Um, the blankets are really cool. Blankets are crazy for us. And um, so, um, so the learn about licensing thing that you were just asking me about on the website, I put that up uh, relatively recently because I get so many emails from people who want to know how to become a licensee. And so after Fairly Well, um, I became really well known as a licensee and people started sending me tons of emails. They wanted to know my story. How did I become a licensee? So I wrote that story, the story about the parking lot. Yeah, yeah. And that's on the website. So then that started to get me a ton of traffic. And people, if they Googled Grateful Dead licensing, they found my story. So they started asking me, well, how could they become one? So I wrote this FAQ to answer questions because I can't answer. I just can't email at all. I can't do that over And you're not trying to, like, I mean, it seems like you're not trying to keep people... Out of doing it no, themselves, right? No, no. I mean, the... The, the truth is that most of the people that email me aren't going to become licensees. They have an idea, and you can't build a licensing business on an idea. You have to have an established business mm-hmm. and then grow it with licensing. So, you know, I was really lucky to be able to get in there when I did with as little as I had at such a new, or, you know, early stage in my business. And and I don't want to discourage anyone else from trying to do the same, but the reality is that you have to be ready to make a pretty large commitment. Mm-hmm. You have to already be established in a market with a product that's not a bootleg yeah. and be able to say, hey, my, I, this is my demographic. I'm certain that they would like whatever it is. Let's say Grateful Dead for you know, sake yeah. of conversation. And, uh, and submit a proposal with mm-hmm. projections and guarantees and all that stuff, plus insurance and the willingness to deal with the protocols of licensing. Yeah. It's a real job. It yeah, goes from being yeah. fun in the parking lot to a yeah. real job. And so, you know, the trade-off for me was I stopped having fun in a parking lot. Yeah. I, had, I started, I went home, and I had to build an online business, and yeah. I had to build a wholesale business, and I had to deal with all of these things. That It was a real job, yeah. you know? Um, so, so, yeah, so there's resources on my website if you want to learn about licensing. Um, there's ways to contact me, obviously, but, um, you know, I'm happy to talk to people about yeah. licensing, but I think... There's some basics to know before you even start before that conversation. You start, yeah. Yeah. Well, it's cool. You have so much stuff on the site that I think is cool. As a, as a father of young kids, um, just like the kids' stuff I think is really cool. Um, and and I know there's tons of stuff for the home and for adults and for everyone else. Um, have you ever have you ever explored fish licensing? Or is that a, just a whole as different As far as I know, fish doesn't do licensing. At all. I don't think so. I think they do everything in-house. I would love to do fish stuff, and people obviously always suggest that I should, yeah. but I don't think it's the same. I don't just don't think they've built that. Yeah. and Which raises also another point, which is that, you know, I've been thinking about this a lot lately, like all of these, I don't want to say younger bands, because they're not that young anymore, but like these bands that were, say, a generation or two behind fish that now have pretty entrenched fan bases, they should be building licensing. Like, they should be following the Grateful yeah. Dead model and build licensing for themselves. That's and, you know, so after I wrote that FAQ, I wrote that really with the intention of trying to help out the, the individual people that wanted information. And then I realized, actually, this is information that these bands would really value, yeah. you know, really benefit mm-hmm. by learning. And so, you know, I don't know if they'll 
if any of that will yeah. happen. But I think that's that there's, there's some... So I don't know what fish, you know, what they'll end up doing either. Yeah. They do such a good job with everything on their own. Yeah, they're, yeah they, they handle it all. Yeah. Us, which is sort of their brand, you know. They kind of deal with everything themselves. They're, yeah, and I, I love... I think they're so good. I, feel, I look to them as an example. Yeah. And they, you know, I watch what they do and learn from them. But me too. part of me does... <laughs> yeah, right? Part of me doesn't want to do fish yeah. because... Um, you only want to do what you love so much. And, you know, Grateful Dead has not been easy. And there have been many times where I can't, haven't been able to listen to Grateful Dead music because it hasn't been... I, it makes me unhappy to listen to yeah. it because I've had some really challenging times with yeah, Grateful yeah, Dead yeah. licensing. Fair. Yep. And so, you know, a fish has never made me feel bad. Yeah. Fish is never... I mean, other than those first couple of shows that <laughs> confused me, right. but... But, you know, fish Sorry is... you had to see them in Paris in well, 1997. No, but, yeah, that makes sense. You want to keep your, like, job and your passion separate on some yeah, level. Yeah, and even though it's still... It's so over, so much overlap, it's like, I can go to a fish show and I can see tons of friends and I can dance and I can not worry about yeah. anything. And I need that. Yes. You know? So let me ask you real quick before we talk about the book that I know you're writing. Um, a lot of people listening probably have been to many shows and bought a, a shirt from a vendor that's like a logo with like a word in it or like some kind of um, reinterpretation of a band name or logo or whatever. What's like the line between, you know, licensing and art? And is that line like completely blurry it's very blurry um and it's often completely flouted Mm -hmm. um i think you know there's something that happens the the example you just gave with like the logo like glide with the tide logo right that's actually two copyright infringements Uh like if the people from tide had half a sense to go to a fish show they could hand out (laughs) infringements obviously they're not going to do that you know but um the there's something that exists there with fan art that you don't want to over-regulate. Yeah. Because it does so much to build the fan base yeah. and to build goodwill with the fan base and the fun of trying to find those loopholes yeah. and trying to, you know, people love those kinds of shirts, right? They yeah. want the stuff that's like the the more creative and kind of, you know. Yeah. Um, like more, a little bit, a little bit one step removed. And we should say fan art, Pete, who's a, a friend of mine who's done a great, deal for this the fish scene in terms of bringing fan art into the community and i think that he has his own perspective on like it's sort of one step removed from the band but Mm -hmm. but still using like ideas images you know whatever i don't know i don't know the lines but i assume that i don't think anyone really does and i think that some of them that have been established could be enforced and aren't like the donut, for example, the you know the red circle on yeah. blue, that's trademarked, but it's everywhere, you know. And I don't know how, it, like, it would have to be the most exact red circle on blue to yeah. enforce that, but yeah. still, it is trademarked. Yeah. And you know, you if you go to any fish show, you're going everywhere. Yeah, yeah, it's everywhere, right? So, and even like I made a shirt recently that's four emojis, which um, you know I just made it for the fun of it for actually for fan art last uh-huh. winter over New Year's. And it's the cactus, the yeah. circle, and the red guitar, uh-huh. and the keys. Uh-huh. And I think technically that's an emoji infraction. <laughs> you know, like emoji. Right. Emoji is a intellectual property yeah. that like you have to get licensing right, for, right? right. So, um, but but yeah, I mean, fan art I think is a really interesting area because it's 
it is creative for one thing when you have to work around rules you're forced to get creative and some people are really good at it yeah um some people are terrible at it yeah and some people are blatantly infringing and so i think that it is important to keep like some level of regulation there and i mean fish i think does a great job of riding that line yeah um but yeah because the fan art is obviously a huge part of the community and the the scene, you know, yeah. and inspiring artists to do things. And, and there are them. plenty of cu- people who, um, they don't want official stuff. Yeah. They don't want the licensed stuff. They think of it as like too corporate or yeah. whatever, you know, yeah. like, and, uh, they only want lot shirts. Yeah. And so there, you know, there's gotta be something for everything, everyone. And there's also something to be said for like, like, for example, right now, like Den Company isn't selling kids clothes at the shows. The official merchandising booth does not have kids clothes, which is absolute insanity to me. Mm-hmm. People want kids' clothes. Yep. What am I going to do? Not sell them kids' clothes at a Dutton Company show? You know? <laughs> right, like, right. I mean, my stuff's licensed, but yeah. like, if they aren't going to take it upon themselves to make it for the family, like the laws of supply and demand, someone's going to fill that gap, right? 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 Yeah, so, totally. Yeah, I mean, yeah, kids, you know, especially in our like fan bases, there's a lot of parents of young kids, you yeah. know, or young or older kids, kids generally. Yeah. Um, so if you're a licensee, does that mean that like someone comes by and like checks your license at like a booth or is it more complicated than that? It can happen. Um, I, you know, I haven't been doing, um, lot stuff for years, so I don't know a whole lot about what goes on out there. This last Dead and Company tour is the first time that I've gone out and sold stuff in a parking lot in a long time. And I haven't encountered any of that, but I have my contract with me. Um, and everything I have says has the copyright on it. All of my art says oh, copyright. See, so yeah. Right, yeah. Which I suppose somebody could just print that. <laughs> right. really, you know, right, right, but, right. but, you know, the, I have the legal line on everything because that, that's one of the requirements of licensing is uh-huh. that you put it on there. Um, so... You know, I I think people definitely do get stuff confiscated. I know that people have gotten stuff confiscated on this tour, and it happens everywhere. I got yeah. stuff confiscated at Coventry because it said Coventry. I thought I was in the safe zone with the town name, yeah. but they had for a temporary oh, injunction against... They do that whenever they can, you know? So you can't think you're safe by using a town name because they... If it's, Good to know. Yeah, if, Good if to it's know. the name of the event, yeah. then it's, you know... Then it's part, yeah. of the, it's part of the deal. So so I know that, um, Taylor, you've written... You're in the process of writing a book. Yes. Um, about... Did you just give the whole book away in this conversation? <laughs> no, I was conscious not to. <laughs> what, um, what, what inspired you to write a book, and can you tell people a little bit about what it, yes. sort of what it's about? Um, so the book has been written. I'm now in the editing phase, and I just spent the last year and a half or so in near isolation writing it. Amazing. And, um, it was a very, very intense process. So, I mean, it's one of those where, like, I... I did a lot of these things because I wanted to live a life worth writing about, like that old trope, right? Yeah, so yeah. I grew up wanting to be a writer. I didn't grow up wanting to be an artist. Yeah. And I started writing in third grade. I've been journaling since third grade. And so I, and then, you know, with moving around as a kid, I started writing letters. I saved all of that. I have all my old journals, wow. all my old letters, wow. all my old emails when I started emailing. Like I saved everything. So the process. Are they in like boxes? Um, yeah, yeah, my mom doesn't really appreciate yeah, yeah, this habit. Of, there's a lot of stuff. <laughs> yeah, but, um, I, part of writing this is I'm like, I think I'm going to get rid of a lot of stuff yeah. when I, when this is finally done, but, um, so I, first I had to 
research my own life, which was a little bit weird, yeah, yeah. right? To go yeah. back. So, so the book is, you know, my experience with all of this stuff, my experience with licensing, and it's a, it's a memoir, but it's also, a, you know, a bit of a business book without being a business book. It's not like a how to get rich and be hugely successful because that's not something I've done. <laughs> so I can't write that book, you know. How to <laughs> how to become ridiculously wealthy selling awesome Grateful Dead t-shirts. Yeah, that's yeah, not yeah, this, that's that not this book. You know? good, I think it's a good idea. <laughs> well, if I accomplish it someday, I'll yeah, write yeah, that yeah. book. But no, um, but that makes sense. I mean, sharing your what you've learned yeah so it's a mix of you know insights into business and insights into being an independent woman on the road that's a very unique experience um most of the people who are out there doing this are men and um when i first especially when i first started if i knew any woman who was on the road she was with a man myself included you know so the first thing i had to do was end that yeah and uh, go out on my own and that was that was big to yeah. do that, you know, and, and I still don't see very many women out there on their own, yeah. you know, so, so it's, it's about, you know, all of that mm-hmm. stuff, right, but also with some insight into, like, well, if you want to live a creative life and you want to start a business and your, your goals are about personal satisfaction and, um, you know, not necessarily about getting rich and famous, yeah. then yeah. you can do those things, you know, so... Hopefully it'll inspire some people to pursue That's their really cool. their dreams. You know? When when will it be like done out? Is there any? I now? so I'm at it? the the next phase. I'm gonna do one more draft. I'm gonna probably in July. I've got like a window, like two or three weeks, where I can go um, hibernate and um, do another round of edits, yeah. and then I'm gonna start pitching it. So. You know, I, I have enough of a built-in audience that I could self-publish, but I really want to do it traditionally yeah. if I can, but I haven't started pitching it. So I have some agent referrals, and my next thing is to, like, start pitching cool. agents and see what happens. But I'm if, hoping, like, uh, within a year. Awesome. You know, that's my goal. If yeah. anyone listening, you know, works for a publishing company or, or yeah. is a publisher, get in touch. Yeah, or an agent. Or an yeah. agent. Yeah. Any, any of the above. Anyone who can, who is interested in books. Um so this episode is going to come out right before the Fishes summer tour. I know you'll be on the road for a lot of the summer, or at yeah, least for pieces of the summer. Where where can people find you? Of course, they can find you on the internet at, at any time. Yeah, so littlehippie.com little anytime. Um, Insta, uh, sorry, any social media is either Little Hippie LLC or I'm Taylor Swope Art. Um, and then... Uh, in person, they can find me. I think I'm going to go to the Camden Fish shows. I'm probably going to go to Curveball, maybe the Gorge, and I think that's about <laughs> it. I have to do some hibernating. I got to finish the book, yeah, so the book. it's all balance. Yeah, the, cor- the Gorge, from what I hear, is worth the trip. But the, it's I've a been trip. to the Gorge many times. Oh, yeah, okay. oh I love it. Yeah, okay. and I wanted to go for Dead and Company, but it just it's too much for yeah. one night. You know. Amazing. Um, well, this is really cool, and the business that you've built is, is really awesome, and I'd encourage people to check it out, and um, thanks for spending time with us and sharing your story. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for hearing it. Cool. So, Taylor, I think on the way out of this episode, on the on the back end, maybe we'll play a little bit of that show that you were forced to go to in Paris <laughs> in uh, February of 97. Is that... that sounds good. I would like to hear it, actually. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll play a little bit of that, and... Um, and thanks, everyone, for listening. And you can find us, obviously, on the internet, hfpod.com. Get in touch with us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, whatever um, whatever your platform of choice is. And thanks, Taylor, again for coming on. My pleasure. What is a city without its music? 
the legacy of the New York Philharmonic is incredible. Nearly two centuries of history. That's a lot of music and a lot of stories. I was sitting on stage for the very first time thinking, I can't quite believe this is happening. Join me, Jamie Bernstein, as we explore the history of the New York Philharmonic. It's the NY Phil story made in New York, a podcast about a city, its people, and their orchestra. Listen wherever you get podcasts.
This podcast is in the loop, the Legion of Osiris podcasts. Osiris is creating a community that connects people like you with live experiences and podcasts about artists and topics you love. Get in the loop at OsirisPod.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to us talking about our podcast for a minute. What's the name of that podcast? That's Axe to Grind. Uh, and right now you're going to be getting a little a little taste of it, right down to the shaky microphone and all. <laughs> and my name's Bob. And my name's Patrick. And usually we're joined by Tom. Tom's the best. Tom has a real grown-up job that requires him to be at work. But we talk about decidedly not-so-grown-up things like... Hardcore music and things that people that like hardcore music tend to like. So that could be the latest shows, uh, revisiting classic material, talking about the new classics, um, all the little dorm room nonsense that you imagine from a niche music podcast that, that you either love, want to love, or hate. Yeah, imagine all the emotions that you have towards a genre that, that uh, has impacted your life. Uh, and then condense them down to an hour to two hours a week. So triangulate your speakers. Think about jumping off the bed, singing along, dancing like an idiot, and listen to Axe for Grind podcast. <laughs> 